For today's sermon, we're going to be back into Ephesians. We're going to be looking into Ephesians chapter 1 again, this time verses 11 through 14. And I'm going to take a minute right now, and I'm going to pray for us that God would help us to see truth in this text in a way that, that stirs our heart with affection for God that leads us into the truth about who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ, and that ultimately would lead us to live then for Jesus, to carry out acts of love and mercy and grace, all in the name of our Lord and Savior. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word of God that is set before us. We thank you for, Lord, the grace that you continue to pour out on us time and time again, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts today that we might be lifted up in worship to the true and living God. We ask this all through Jesus and for the sake of his name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look back into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, I want us to think about a word that is very much a part of the American psyche, a word that if you were to ask the average American what it is that this country was founded upon would probably be the word that they would say. And that word, of course, is the word freedom. And so freedom is this, it's almost for the American culture, this high soaring word, this word that is instilled into the depths of who we are as Americans. And yet, there has been this shift in the definition of the word freedom. Freedom has come more and more to be understood in terms of individualism and self-autonomy. So that our understanding of freedom is that we would be unconstrained by any outside compulsions or any outside claims upon our life and our future and any of that. And so, in order to be free, then we have to be absolutely unshackled from anything outside of ourselves. But that is not a historic definition of freedom. That is surely not a biblical definition of freedom. That definition of freedom is a definition that stands against the idea of any sort of selectiveness or distinctiveness. Uh, for instance, we think that it is oppressive and not freeing to make any distinctions based on gender or anything like that. To, to treat a man differently than you would treat a woman because he is a man is said to make a distinction that brings about oppression and not freedom. And yet, as we're going to see, that's not the biblical model. We're going to see today in our text, our big idea is this, is that God chooses some. God makes a selection and God makes a distinction. God chooses some, but God chooses some to bless many. God has made a choice and we're going to see God chose one man, Abraham, and he chose Abraham then to become a family, and that was his chosen family. And that family became a nation, the Jewish people. But God chose some, Abraham and his family and the nation of Israel. He chose those to bless the world. And so our big idea today is this. God chose some to bless many and has pledged equal blessings and status 
to all believers through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God chose some to bless many, and he has pledged equal blessings and status to all believers through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So read with me, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In him, speaking of Jesus, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also When you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the first thing that we want to look at in this text is that God chose some. Look at Ephesians 1.11. Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, and so on and so forth. Now, the we that Paul is talking about is not we Christians in general. We're going to see, look in verse 11, in him we, and then in verse 13, in him you also. There's a we and a you in this text. So the we that Paul is talking about is himself and his kinsmen, the Jewish people, the Israelites. They were predestined by God according to God's grand purpose. And they were predestined for a reason. They were chosen out to be God's people throughout the old covenant era. And so God chose Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and the promise that God gave Abraham was channeled through them. And then, of course, Jacob's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see now a distinct nation that is called God's people. And God has chosen and selected this group of people to bring about and to to channel his promised blessings through this unique and distinct group of people. God's plan, friends, has come in a distinctive manner. And what I mean is this. God worked in and through a distinct group of people, the Jewish people. God made a distinction and a selection of those people. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? Now, the question comes in light of Paul's acknowledgement that the Jewish people have just in large part rejected Jesus as their Messiah and King. But then Paul says, so what advantage has the Jew? What value is there of circumcision? circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So God chose the Jewish people to entrust with these divine oracles, these proclamations and these promises of what he's going to do. Romans 9, 4 and 5, Paul says this, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so God has chosen this unique 
group of people. God has selected this group of people to receive all of these blessings. They were the ones through Abraham who were adopted to be God's family. They were the one who received the glory of the covenants. They were given the law. They were given the divine ordinances of worship. How it is that you come to the true and living God and relate to him. They were given all of God's promised blessings. Now, before we jump into the rest of the text, we need to make a few application points right now. You see, we live in a culture where we're told over and over again that everybody should be treated exactly the same without distinction. We are told distinction means oppression. For instance, and we talked about this, but to treat a woman different because she is a woman is to make a distinction between women and men and therefore is oppressive. But distinction is necessary. It's good and it's beneficial. Let me just give you an analogy, a story that hits close to home about how distinction is actually good. So Amanda and the girls and me, this week we we were planting a little garden plot. And as we were doing that, we were making all kinds of distinctions. I had to make a distinction between my lawnmower and my rototiller. Because if I tried to till up that dirt with my lawnmower, all I would get was short grass. But you can't plant a garden in short grass. So I made a distinction. I chose the rototiller. Amanda and the girls made all kinds of distinctions about which plants they were going to plant in which spot. Because certain plants grow better next to other kind of plants and other plants don't grow well and all of this stuff. All kinds of distinctions and all of those distinctions were made not to be oppressive, but so that the plants would have the freedom to grow as they were meant to grow in the land. You see, the creative purpose and and design, the creative purpose and design of certain things means that distinctions are not only necessary, but that they are good and that they are beneficial. It's not bad to make distinctions that benefit. The problem is, is that we live in a world where distinctions have and are often made that are not beneficial or good. There are distinctions that can be made that are oppressive. To to distinguish between uh, a certain people based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their social class and, and to try to determine their inherent value based on that is an oppressive distinction. But that doesn't mean that all distinction is bad. That brings us to our next point, our second point. That God chose some, which was our first point, chose the people of Israel. God chose some to bless many. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 now in verse 13. In him you also. Now, now Paul will just step back from this right now. And actually there's a word play here in, in verse 11. In him we The ESV has left out the word also, which is there in the original Greek. So verse 11 literally begins, in him uh, we also, and verse 13, in him you also. 
It's supposed to draw your attention to the similarity that's going on. Now remember, God chose some. He chose the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, and then the nation of Israel. And they received the promises, the blessings, the adoption, all of this. And it was ultimately through the Israelite race that God's son came down and took on human flesh and was born of the virgin. But notice now what he says in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he's going to go on to then talk about the inheritance that we all have, Jew and Gentile alike. Now, God chose some. He chose the Israelites to bless many. God made a distinction and a selection for the greater good of all mankind and all creation. And this has always been a part of God's plan. Although it was never fully understood how this would come together in the one person of Jesus, it has always been God's plan. To make that selection of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 12 tribes and the nation, always to make that selection of some for the greater good of many. Listen to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is when God is going to call Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor all who curse you. Notice that selection. But then notice this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God chose some to bless many. The distinction and selection of Israel was never at the expense of the rest of the world. It was for the sake of the rest of the world. And this, friends, this is how the principle of God's election works. If you have been chosen by God, you have been chosen not at the expense of others, but for the sake of others. You have been blessed to be a blessing. It's your privilege and duty to live in such a way so as to see others come to receive the blessings. The electing love of God, which sovereignly pours out, should never be understood as coming at the exclusion or expense of others, but always as coming for the sake of others. God has chosen and elected his people that they may be vessels through whom God makes his appeal to the world to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. God's election of Israel was for the sake of the world, not the exclusion of the world. And God's election of individuals is for the sake of the world, not at the expense of the world. Now, I think far too often that the doctrine of election is made this debated and debatable doctrinal conviction rather than being seen for what it truly is. Election is the avenue of God's grace to the world. When, a, when election is viewed primarily as a litmus test for somebody's theological grid rather than a gracious calling to be God's means of blessing to the world, 
then we have misconstrued the biblical witness of God's electing grace. So with that in mind, with the idea that we, if you're called by God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have been chosen by God, chosen to receive all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and he did it before he ever created the world. He predestined you that you would be adopted as a son through Jesus Christ. And if God has done that for you, then he has done it so that, not, not, not at the exclusion of others, but for the sake of others, so wear that banner of God's electing grace and love and view it as that which compels you to live for the sake of the world, to make the message of Christ known, knowing that God chooses some for the sake of many. And so I would ask you this, what have you been given? How have you been blessed? How can you use these things these gifts from God to help others understand the grace of God in truth. Everything that we have is a gift and is meant to glorify God by making much of Jesus Christ so that the world might see his beauty and his glory. Now, this brings us to our third point. That God, God chose some for the sake of the many and God has pledged equal blessings and status to all believers through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look again at our text in, um, I'm going to look at the end of verse 13. Why don't I do this? I'll just read from verse 13 to verse 14. In him you also, so now you also Gentiles, those of us who are not Jews, along with the Jews, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul says that the Gentiles, just like the Jews were, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting that it's this, this mutual giving of the Holy Spirit to all believers equally, whether you're Jew or Gentile, all believers are equally given the Holy Spirit and therefore understood to be equal and full participants as the, the people of God in the family of God. And it's actually the gift of the Holy Spirit that settles this debate in the early church. We have it recorded for us in the book of Acts in, in, in the scriptures that there were those Jewish people who thought Gentiles can't become full participants of the people of God. They can't be fully a part of the, the Messiah and his people unless they become like Jews, unless they convert and become Jews. And the Gentiles were saying, that's not what we heard. We heard that salvation and inclusion to the family of God comes by faith in Jesus alone. And so then, it was actually the fact that these Gentile believers received the Spirit the same way that the Jewish believers did. And you can see this in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, a Gentile called a God-fearer, when he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and then him and his family manifest the gift of the Holy Spirit in the same way that the apostles and the Jewish people did. Um, but listen to this from Acts chapter 15, beginning 
in verse 5, it says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, and so here are these Jewish Pharisee, uh, now followers of Jesus. They said this, It is necessary to circumcise them, that's the Gentile believers, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, listen to what Peter says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So Peter says, it's actually the gift of the Holy Spirit that proved Gentiles to be equal participants with Jews as followers of Jesus and the people of God. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit that did that. So the Holy Spirit becomes this this gift that brings unity and equality to all of the people of God. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the unquestionable seal of God upon any person. Notice what he says in the end of verse 13. Uh, You believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised in multiple places throughout the Old Testament. Jesus himself promises and he tells his disciples, the apostles, that that Jesus uh, says, you know, hey, I, I don't want you to go out preaching the gospel right now. What I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to wait for the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they're waiting for in Acts chapter 1, and that's what they ultimately receive on the day of Pentecost, that promised Holy Spirit. But when it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, to be sealed with the Spirit is to be marked out and identified as coming from and belonging to God. A unique seal would have been affixed to letters as an authentication of their origin back in the ancient culture. Now, this seal was not only an identification of the origin of the letter, but, and especially when it came from a king or somebody in authority, it was a form of protection and security. If the king took his signet ring and put his seal in wax on a letter, you did not tamper with that letter. Otherwise, you would have the wrath of the king coming against you. And, and, and this is what the, the Holy Spirit is. It says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit identifies us as being gods and is a sign of God's loving, protective care for his people. You see, the determination of the genuineness of somebody's faith is not primarily creed, denomination, or tradition. It is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we see in this text is that the the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. If we look at verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? The fact that you or I or anybody has the Holy Spirit 
is God's guarantee. That is a word used of a down payment. Now think about what a down payment is. A down payment is a small portion of, say, a purchase price that you give to the person that you're buying it from as a pledge of your sincerity to pay off the rest of it. Okay, now what God has done in his grace is that we have a grand inheritance coming. It says earlier, right in chapter 1, that, that we have been blessed in Christ with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That God has poured out on us blessing after blessing and that all that belongs to Christ will one day be ours. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And he says, now... In case you wonder, in case you start to waver on whether or not that's coming to you, I'm giving every single believer the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a down, play, a down payment. It's a pledge of God's intention and unbreakable will and desire to give you that inheritance. So today, we're struggling. We're in the midst of the coronavirus uh, people are out of jobs and finances could be tight and things could be hard. And I don't want to make light of that. And we pray. I've been praying for all of those out of work, calling upon God to heal our world of this virus, to restore economies, to help people provide for their families. But if you are struggling today and you are a Christian, hear this Christian, that God has given you a pledge of an inheritance that would blow your mind, an inheritance that it's hard for us to even try to preach about because it's so grand. As Paul talks about in a different context, the unfathomable riches of Christ that you are then now called into inherit all that Christ has merited and earned. Brothers and sisters, the word of God explicitly says that you will inherit the world, all the earth. The new heavens and the new earth is there for us. God's generosity on full display. And he has given you the Holy Spirit as a pledge. And so if you're wavering, if you're worried about, about this or that or finances, or you're just not sure, like, does this God really love me? Then, then embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in all righteousness. Let the Holy Spirit help you to put to death your sin so that you'll become more and more like Jesus. And see, just see if, if the idea and the hope of that grand inheritance doesn't grow and grow and grow. God has given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment for this inheritance. And he has done it all through the work of Jesus Christ. The inheritance that the, that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of is the inheritance that we receive as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus has done it all for us. Jesus won the victory. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the two greatest commandments. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor. That's each one of us. That's all humanity. He loved his neighbor as himself as he willingly gives his life. That those who were lost in darkness and shame and brokenness and regret might know the saving grace of God, might receive new life, might drink from the fountain that brings eternal life. Jesus has done this. 
Jesus is the true and eternal and perfect Son of God. And we have, by God's grace, been able to be adopted into the family through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is ultimately the one that God chose for the sake of the world. Jesus was the one that God selected. Jesus was distinct from the rest of us. And it was not at our exclusion, but it was for our sake. If not for the selecting and electing love of God to choose Jesus for the sake of the world, then none of us, none of us could have these blessings. None of us could have this inheritance and this hope. And so I would simply plead with you today, have you trusted Jesus? Is he your hope? Are you, are you trusting and resting in him? Are you finding your inheritance in his inheritance? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And if the answer is no, all you have to do is receive the gift of God. Offered freely, Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Come, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For your souls, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light, Jesus says. Will you come to him? Will you receive that free offer of grace through Jesus Christ? Believer, if you're watching this today, are you resting in that? In the midst of all of the tumult and chaos around us, in the uncertainty of the days that we are living in, are you able today, with a heart full of joy, to go, I have received a down payment and a pledge in the form of the indwelling presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit, within me. I have received a down payment and a pledge of my inheritance. And it's untouchable because it's protected by God for the day of salvation. Believer, rejoice. You have been given immeasurably more than you could ever imagine and infinitely more than any of us could ever deserve because we have been given the very inheritance of Christ. And so today, loved ones, go out, live your life in the love of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would make much of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have chosen some to bless many. Thank you that you chose one to bring salvation to the world. And may we live our life for that one, for Jesus. May we live our life sacrificially as he sacrificed for us. May we live our life, Lord, striving to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And when we fall short, God, help us to remember that our acceptance as your children, our acceptance before you has nothing to do with our own shortcomings or good works, but has everything to do with what Jesus has accomplished for us. Help us to receive that gift by faith and to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name.